This week on New Tricks, we're joined by Eva White, CEO at Arrive Co-Living, and hear about the whopping number of opportunities available for the brand that provides flexible accommodation with the offer of local experiences and community connection. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the weekly regular podcast uh, from New Dog PR, which is us, Emily and Catherine. Catherine, how are you? I'm tremendous today. How are you, Emily? Oh, right. We've got a puppy. Yeah, of course. Puppy. We've got a new new dog's new dog. Which is all manner of craziness. Um, Catherine's internet is a bit patchy, so she has frozen in a in a in a, in a look of absolute awe and wonder. Um, so whilst her internet just decides what to do, uh, I'm going to introduce our guest this week, which uh, who is the delightful Eva White, CEO of Arive. Have I pronounced that correctly? That's perfect. Thank you very much. Emma. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we 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 need to have a sort of catch up because we haven't seen each other for uh, a billion years um we were we worked together at cbre i think didn't we is that where that's from in the midst, midst of time i don't you know don't think how long ago that was but probably 10 years ago i don't know but i think that's where we originally met yeah exactly exactly and in the meantime you've been super busy uh you were mining her for a bit then you were with ensmore i think Yes, exactly. So after CBRE, I um, was with Meininger for almost five years, I believe, and then joined um, the Hoxton team at Ennismore, heading up the development expansion team for Europe for three years, and then moved back to Switzerland just before the lockdown, which was perfect timing in my mind. <laughs> yes, well done. And tell us, and tell us, um, tell us about, um, like, tell us about Arive. What is it? How is it going? What, what? I, I have this really bad habit of asking twelve questions in one. Uh, so I'll, I'll just stop there. Tell us a little bit about it, please. More than happy to. Thank you very much. Um, so in summary, basically, Arif Co-Living is a Swiss startup, as the name suggests, in the co-living um, sector. So we provide small apartments and extensive communal spaces um, for people generally who look for accommodation for one to six months. So the concept in the first instance is not really aimed at people who need you know, an alternative for a permanent home for a year or longer. It's really for people who kind of need that temporary accommodation, which is you know, a few months, I guess, in, in summary. At the heart of the concept really are the shared communal areas and the community we create. So we offer here in Basel, and I come on to the the first location that we have, um, we offer 1,500 square meters of public areas. So I always refer to it as your extended living room, whereas, you know, the apartments itself are relatively small, I guess. You have access to basically a huge co-working area, community kitchen, bar, laundry areas, lounges, etc. So really, it's an extended living room that you can use. And I think the aim really is to bring like-minded people together. That's kind of the core of the concept, I guess. And maybe to give you a little bit of background about the company itself. So it was um, founded by a company builder. So it's a a Swiss um, group that has successfully launched um, different startups in Switzerland. 
in the convenience fast food sector, I would say, and in the sharing economy space. So they've also launched a co-working business about four years ago now, which is operating very successfully with different locations um, in Zurich. So that's kind of their space. That's where they're active. They look at kind of companies and ventures that are successful in, you know, big capitals uh, across the globe. And they see kind of, you know, where does Switzerland still have a niche in the market? What works successfully elsewhere? What are the new trends and what doesn't exist yet in the Swiss market? And co-living is basically the latest venture that they founded. Um and I joined them a bit more than a year ago now, initially a little bit in the background, officially since the beginning of this year. And we signed the first deal, um, it's a lease um, for a property in Basel, so in Basel in Switzerland. And it's a conversion of an existing hotel. And um, so within the space of six months, we basically took the existing hotel, completely renovated it and opened it as the first RF co-living on the 1st of June this year. So that's what we've been doing for the you know last uh, nine months now. Interesting. Okay. Um, Catherine, you, how's your internet? Uh, I, yes. Can, can I ask? Mm, no, a very choppy. Everything in word. It's <laughs> <laughs> very choppy. Going to speak slowly. If, if it's not a permanent living solution, does that make it extended stay? <laughs> I got that. London calling. It's an interesting one because I, I think, you know, as a co-living operator, I guess you can be closer to an extended stay product, a service department, or you can be closer to a residential property, I guess. And I think it really depends on on the product. I think with RF co-living, I would say we are probably from an operating model point of view, closer to extended stay service department. But the big difference is the community, right? All the public areas, a lot of service departments basically have no communal spaces. You just enter the building, go upstairs, you go into your room and, and that's it, right? And with the co-living or at least our interpretation or the way we live co-living is that the communal spaces, the services, the events that we organize is really at the heart of the concept. And that's how it's, I guess, different from your traditional service department extended stay product. Interesting. Um, I I want to talk to you a little bit about how I was quite fascinated when you were talking about the founders and how they'd sort of looked at what's going on in the sort of real estate investment portfolios everywhere um, and pinpointed what was lacking in the Swiss market. Is is the plan to expand beyond Switzerland or are you staying very focused in that in, in one country at the moment? At the moment of the initial rollout phase, the plan is to look at the Swiss market only. I also believe, actually, the Swiss market is really interesting for a co-living product because you have so many international businesses headquartered here, right? And we come on to target markets maybe a little bit later, but, you know, that's kind of the source of a lot of our businesses, these international corporations who have headquarters here, but they have an international workforce who come to Switzerland either as expats or they come for a project for, you know, a limited period of time, I guess. So I think in Switzerland, there is certainly, you know, four or five other cities which 
where I believe uh, Arifco living would work really well. So I think it makes sense strategically also in terms of resources for a very small team to kind of focus on the core home market first. And once we've established a presence in, you know, three, four Swiss cities and, you know, Zurich, Geneva, Lausanne, they're perfect markets for this kind of product as well. Then I think the aim is definitely to look at, you know, some neighboring countries as well. But uh, I think with expansion, it's generally my experience. I think it doesn't go well if you do try and do too many things at the same time. I think it's time is better spent if you kind of focus on, you know, a few core markets and, and take it from there. Sounds very wise. Sounds very wise. So the existing property that you have was a hotel that you've converted. What are you looking for um, in terms of next sites? Is that the ideal? You find a hotel that you can or do you want to uh, uh, do other existing models work equally well? Other existing models could work equally well, I would say. I think the benefit with hotel conversions is that it's quite you know quick to do. So it's speed to market, which is obviously relevant. But there are also some negatives, I guess, you know, if you take an existing hotel, generally speaking, the unit sizes, unless you start, you know, taking <laughs> all the walls down, the, the unit sizes are relatively small. So here in Basel, we basically took the existing hotel, we completely redid the public spaces. But in terms of the room units itself, we left it more or less as it was. If I could build something from scratch, I would definitely do a higher proportion of slightly larger units, I would say. So in terms of what we're looking at for the future, I mean, the second project, which will hopefully come to fruition, it's not signed yet, so I I can't officially talk about it yet, but it's quite close to the contract being signed, is a new build project. So obviously, that is an ideal from a point of view that you can create the product you want. But the negative to it is that it's going to take three years for it to open, right? So there is pros and cons, I guess, to, um, yeah. Both options, but generally speaking, I think you know you got to be flexible, right? We will try and work with existing buildings, with new build developments. I think a combination is ideal. I think that also works well in terms of timing, I guess. Um, Catherine, I can see you moving, which implies <laughs> you've got you've got an active internet connection. Can you see this? No, no, no. <laughs> I said it. I said it and cast it into into. Freezing. No, I'm going to plow on. Um, so if um, we were wondering in sort of the vast expansive preparations that we do, research that we do for these podcasts, which sometimes lasts for at least several minutes, um, we were wondering about how whether the co the model, the, the physical, the you know, the property model of the co-living concept is quite quite a, an appealing one for investors in the and this obviously won't happen with your brand because it sounds tremendous in this if it all goes belly up you can just flip it back to a residential without too much trauma is that is that part of the appeal do you think for co-living in general from an investor's point of view not clearly not your brand I think it it depends a little bit. I think it's appealing from an operational point of view. It's appealing to investors because I think generally you have lower operating costs, hence higher profit margins. Your you know your cash flow should be less volatile because you have longer term contracts with your you know guests or tenants, depending on yeah how you refer to the people staying within your property. I think the question if you can. Converted back to residential depends a little bit on 
the planning or the zoning, I guess, right, that you initially get. And I know it's a bit of a gray zone in most European countries, the whole planning policy around co-livings. I think it's yeah, being debated <laughs> and discussed in many countries, certainly in Switzerland as well. It's not clear in Switzerland, also depending on which area you're in, the regulations around it are a little bit different. So, I mean, to take the example here of Basel, I mean, this is in what is in Switzerland considered, I guess, commercial use. So we officially trade under a hotel license as well. So flipping this back to residential is very, very unlikely to happen, right? Because the original planning was not granted for residential. Um, but then, um, you know, especially in the UK, I guess a lot of co-living operators, they lean more towards the residential <laughs> side, I guess. And then in that case, I think the answer is probably yes, that it is an easier flip back to residential. But I think it really depends on kind of the zoning, the planning policy, and what the project was initially kind of grant, on which basis it was granted, I guess. Mm. You, you're, I've been thinking as you were talking, there's there's quite an interesting debate that perhaps we won't, I don't know if we get onto today, but just around the terminology that we use, whether, because it's, again, it's blurring, isn't it? The extended stay into co-living, where one starts and where one ends. And there's probably, you know, the, the apart, people who use apart hotels, it's all kind of, it's all, we need to come up with a whole, or, or do we even need to define it? It's just like how, how you want to travel, find, find what's, find the product that serves your needs and go with it. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult, right? I mean, especially since I've been, yeah, with Arif Co-Living, I've often also tried to study the competitive landscape a little bit. And then, you know, you look at all these different players and they refer to themselves as, yeah, part hotel, service department providers, extended stay, co-living, and some, you know, say they're dads, but they actually offer the same as... So it's it's super difficult. I think the lines are very, very blurry. Don't know if it needs kind of a generic, you know, <laughs> definition or not. It's difficult, but I can imagine that maybe in the consumer's mind, sometimes it must be a little bit uh, confusing. I, I can only yeah, imagine. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. Um, let's talk about the consumers and your your uh, the guests a little bit, because um, is, is this, so you've mentioned, you know, target audiences, target markets, including sort of large international organizations that have headquarters elsewhere but travel to Switzerland for uh, you know for, for work frequently um is that who you're targeting who you're aiming at or does does this model work for families and you know any other groups of groups of travelers how do you segment it and and who are you targeting yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite um, broad, I would say. And also we were surprised by some guests, I guess, we ended up having here in Basel as well. I think it's generally, I mean, speaking, it's probably mostly single people's people. Now, in terms of the age group, it's, uh, again, it depends, I guess, what your proposition is, what your price point is. With RF Co-Living, we're definitely more of a premium provider, I would say. So we're definitely not targeting students or career starters because the price point is too high, I would say. So it's really people in their 30s upwards, not necessarily below. Um, I think the first customer segment that we see is kind of your digital nomads. 
And, you know, it's quite interesting. There's more people like this than you think. I mean, I was surprised. And also, it's sometimes interesting to see what brings them to Basel. You know, I think if you think about it from that point of view, maybe Basel is not the most attractive market from a digital nomad point of view, but it's sometimes really quite interesting. I mean, we've had people stay here. They run their IT businesses. They're freelancers. They just, you know, travel Europe for six months in the summer. Depending on where they know people, they stay in different cities for a month at a time, etc. So, it's actually it's an interesting market segment and i think it's definitely one that is probably going to grow over time as well because i don't think it's just entrepreneurs right it's not just people working for themselves it's an increasing number of people who actually are in employment but they don't require to be in one place in an office anymore so i think that is definitely an interesting segment from a marketing point of view i actually had this debate with a colleague the other day it's quite difficult to target them because they could be anywhere right <laughs> so it's an interesting one, but they're definitely there. It's just the question of how do you get through to them from a marketing yeah. point of view. And finding them in finding the networks, I suppose, that they are part of and tapping into that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then for us, the second large segment is definitely the expat community. As I've mentioned, Basel, especially with all the farmers, you know, Roshan of artists are all headquarters quartered here. Um, they have a lot of people who come across um, for yeah, either permanently or for a couple of months. Um, and for them, it's the perfect solution because, you know, they can come kind of find their feet a little bit, figure out if they like the job, I guess, in the first place, if they like the city, if it works out for them before they then kind of make that permanent move and either buy a flat or look for a more permanent home, I guess. So, yeah, we have a lot of these kind of expats, I guess, that, that stay with us. Um, there are, is a surprising number of families as well. Unfortunately, as I mentioned before, our units are on the smaller side. So we only have a small number of units that actually allow the accommodation of families, I guess. So that is a bit of a limiting factor, but it was definitely a surprise to see that there are are quite a lot of families, especially within the expat communities that come across and look for that type of product offering. Also interesting and something that we completely underestimated is that a lot of people bring their pets. Initially, we had the pet-free policy, which, you know, I still think probably the right way to go if you think of hygiene and other things. But then I guess it makes sense, right? If people move their home on a, at least semi-permanent oh. basis, of course, they want to bring their cat and their dog. So <laughs> we had to um, change the policy. And so we have now a, a dedicated number of rooms that are pet friendly, so to speak, um, which is quite interesting. And then we also have a few companies that rent um, basically flats on a permanent basis because they regularly have people you know, come up, especially like UK, Switzerland, there's a lot of um, businesses, obviously, that have people in the UK, but then auditing firms, for instance, that bring people from the UK to audit certain mandates, etc. So they have permanent flats, but they change to people who basically then come and live here. So it really is quite broad. And then we had people who renovate their house, <laughs> who needed, you know, somewhere to stay for a couple of months. Um, so yeah, it is really, really quite interesting. Or people who need somewhere to stay Monday to Friday and they go home to see their families during the weekend. So it is quite a broad target audience, which is great because it kind of diversifies your risk a little bit. But it's definitely, yeah, some interesting discoveries there, even for us, right? But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, great for hedging, you know, sort of spreading your bets, but also tricky to kind of, like I get how you target the, that corporate international sort of market you can get into long-term you know um 
travel ag- agreements you do you'd be their preferred accommodation of choice but yeah trying to sort of tap into expats uh d- i mean digital nomads by their very definition are you can't get your hands around them can you because they're always off yeah exactly so it's a it's an interesting one and uh, you know i would be lying if i would be saying we've cracked it all but uh, <laughs> we're definitely working on on you know how to get through to some of uh yeah, these uh, potential targets, I guess, because we know they're there, but it's just a matter of how do we get to them in an efficient way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Catherine, how's your internet? It's wonderful. Yes, I can, I can occasionally. <laughs> occasionally, <laughs> oh, it's a shame, oh. and it, I can't imagine how frustrating it is. That's no, it's it's because it sounds like interesting chat. Certainly, the one in three words I can hear are very interesting. <laughs> But with, with the the attraction of digital nomads, um, would you be inclined to open more places next to sunny beaches or does that change your development plan? Not necessarily in the short term, I would say. I don't know if you um, understood the full, full part when we talked about Arif's expansion plans a few minutes ago, but really for us, you know, within the next four to five years, I think it's very Switzerland focused in terms of the expansion. I understand from a digital nomad uh, point of view, maybe, you know, Mykonos and some of the Greek islands would be more appealing. <laughs> I get that. But um, I think then you're putting all your eggs in one basket, right? And you do depend on that digital nomad uh, customer who will come and stay with you. Then obviously the whole expat, more corporate uh, clientele will most certainly not be so present. So I think we prefer locations where you can kind of diversify your customer base a little bit, I guess. Sounds very wise. Um, Do you think that the concept of co-living is something, and I appreciate that this is your entire business model, so you're unlikely to say no to this question, but do you think the concept of the co-living model is something that's here to stay, that will endure? It's not just a sort of passing post-pandemic fad? I think so. And, and as you say, I think it'd be a bit surprising if I <laughs> said the contrary. No, but, um, <laughs> but, um, I think, you know, a lot of people looking for flexibility nowadays, right? I mean, I think a lot of people decide against, let's say, a house purchase in exchange for more flexibility. People don't want to live in the same place for 20 years, like maybe the generation of our parents or whatever did I think, and as we mentioned before, I think a lot of people don't need to be in an office anymore. They can work from anywhere, and you know they want to explore places. And I think it's also important they want to explore places, but not as a tourist. So they want to kind of have you know meaningful experiences and enjoy life like the locals do. And I think in that sense, a co-living experience is perfect because you can immerse yourself in a new culture for a couple of months and you do what the locals do. You don't just, you know, visit the sites and the attractions of a city, but you kind of go with the flow. And I think especially if you are in a co-living where there's a bit of a community program, that's exactly what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to have events and bring people in who, you know, kind of show the people things that are maybe a bit off mainstream that, you know, your average tourist wouldn't necessarily get to experience. And I think another factor is, and I mean, I guess we'll we'll see how that plays out, but I was reading quite a few times recently that, you know, short-term business travel, I personally also believe it will not bounce back 
kind of, you know, the way it used to uh, operate, I guess, pre-COVID levels. But I think early indications are that people travel less, but they travel or stay for longer periods at the time instead of, you know, maybe, I mean, mean, again, Switzerland, UK is a prime example. There's plane full of people going from Zurich (laughs) to uh, London, uh, you know, every Monday morning and Friday night for people who kind of do this weekly commute. I think I don't know if this will continue the same way. I think it's more that people maybe do the trip, you know, twice a year, but they stay a couple of weeks at a time. I think, and some statistics seem to suggest that this is a bit of a of a trend. So it'll be an interesting one to watch. And I think last but not least, you know, this whole community aspect, uh, the sharing economy, I guess, is still there to gain momentum. I think. A lot of people are looking for this lifestyle or way of life, and not just people in their 20s, I feel. You know, it's people who are older, people who have families, but they, I don't know, they don't necessarily want to live that traditional life anymore where they, you know, live in their house, as we said, for 30 years at the time. Uh, Yeah, they want to have the option to socialize. They want the option to have connections with other people. So, yes, I I believe it's, it's there to stay. And I mean, there's another random point, but I think in most, you know, big um, cities across the world, it's difficult to find affordable apartments. And I'm not saying saying that a co-living is cheap, but it's an additional option, I guess, that is available to people, right? An additional option with all the hassle taken care of, you just turn up, don't you? There's no, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and you make a good point that the fundamentals all around the concept of co-living are here to stay. The the the, the short-term travel, the search for experiences, all of that sort of s- stacks up, and uh, yeah, I makes hope so. it. Yeah, make, of course. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> um, we're hurtling towards the end of this wonderful chat. Catherine will be delighted to know. Um, <laughs> so, if we can have a few more minutes of your time just to ask you the. Uh, questions that we ask everyone at the end of the podcast so starting with what is your most memorable hotel experience I think uh, it's a really difficult one and you know I think through my career I was obviously lucky enough to experience some pretty wonderful uh, places Um, and I think some places or some hotels you visit are memorable because of from a professional point of view because they do something different they offer something different and then other experiences are you know, creating a lasting memory from a personal point of view, because you were there with really nice people, you had a wonderful time, something amazing happened, I don't know what, right? So it's it's difficult if this is your career as well to kind of differentiate between the two. But if I had to pick one, and I guess it's the most recent one, and hence it's, uh, it's quite present in my mind still, um, we were in Corsica just a couple of weeks ago, and we stayed in a super small owner-operated um, property, it only had like, a, you know, less than 10 rooms, basically. And the owners, they lived on site, and it's just, the personal service that we received was, and it was by no means luxurious, right? It was, it was nice, but it was uh, not a luxury setup as such. But the personal service was just amazing. It was out of this world, you know. In the morning, when we would have breakfast, they'd come over and ask us what we would like to do today, and they gave us some inside tips, you know, not your standard tourist um, attraction tips, but you know, I said, oh, the wind is going to come from this side today, so go to this beach. It's wind sheltered, and you know, like just really, really amazing. And I think that's you know, what makes travel experiences special at the end of the day. It absolutely does. And it also doesn't require huge amounts of investment or, you know, gopping amounts of uh, planning. It's just having the ability to engage with people on a 
on a personal level so everyone can do it if they want to. Uh, the best thing about the sector is? <laughs> it's actually, yeah, it's, it's funny because I was going to say people and, and I actually do mean that. I think our industry does attract really interesting people, attracts motivated people who generally have, you know, I'd say a shared passion for travel, different cultures, food and beverage, all these wonderful things. So I think uh, it's it's definitely the people, I would say, if I have to summarize it in one sentence. <laughs> you can and you have. And um the sector would be significantly improved if i think it's a difficult one and it's a you know widely debated one um uh, but i think i would have to agree with probably what most people say to this uh, question is just we need to raise the profile as of the industry and uh, particularly of the frontline jobs right i mean right now i think no matter where you're looking in the world and i know the uk is really struggling so are many european countries also here in switzerland we struggle to attract people, right? Which is really, really sad. And I think the profile of the industry just needs to raise. And I think in order to do that, kind of the educational path that leads to hospitality-related jobs needs to change. And the reputation of the industry as an employer, hopefully one day employer of choice, you know, needs to change and improve. So I think it's a huge issue, I think, that everyone is facing at the moment in the industry. Absolutely, yeah. Um what the industry needs now is? I think a confidence boost. I mean, it's an interesting question, but I think, you know, the industry was hit so hard during the pandemic and everyone felt a bit lost. I think everyone probably, including myself, you know, I was thinking, wow, am I in the right industry? Is there a future? I mean, what's going to happen? It was like hugely scary, I think, for, for most of us. But I think hopefully the fact that, you know, most markets tend to bounce back quite strongly, I would say, um, and I hope this gives everyone confidence, you know, from the workforce to the consumers, operators, and of course, the investment community as well, because we obviously need them, right? So I, I hope that the industry kind of benefits from a massive confidence boost that, you know, we can overcome most things, regardless of, I guess, how challenging they seem at the time. <laughs> yeah, and we've seen, haven't we, that people still want to travel, exactly. regardless. Great. And I mean, some markets are doing extremely well, like surprisingly well, I guess. So it's really nice. It's nice to see. Absolutely. And the final question, um, I'd like to think we've learned from the pandemic, dot, dot, dot. I think we have learned a lot. And I think on many different levels and a lot of things will probably, you know, we, we touched on a few points before, like it will shape kind of the foreseeable future, I'm sure. But I thought about it a little bit and I, what I hope we have learned <laughs> is to be braver to maybe take a more medium to long term view or approach to things. Because, you know, what I mean is that so many people lost their jobs, like, you know, people were just, yeah, were just fired right, left and center. And I'm not just talking about frontline staff, right? I mean, senior people within big organizations. And now, you know, all these companies are trying to hire again. And the cost of the layoffs, the cost of recruitment, training, all of these things. I, I bet, and I don't know, I haven't spoken to anyone, but I bet some people look back now and wish they would have maybe taken some different decisions. So I just hope that we're going to be braver to kind of take a bit more of a mid to long term view instead of a, a very short sighted approach to everything. I think that's a very good point, short sighted and almost sort of driven by panic as opposed to a bit of rational thinking. Yeah. 
And it was obviously extremely difficult to navigate it, right? It's difficult to really blame anyone because it was so unprecedented in so many ways, right? No one knew what was going to happen. But I think you're right. Everyone just panicked and the easy thing was to do was to fire people, make drastic changes. But I bet a lot of people maybe wish they weren't quite as uh, quick and radical to <laughs> make certain decisions. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, well, that was absolutely tremendous and a joy to talk to you, Eva. Thank you so much. Um, and we will, uh, yeah, we will watch the progress um, of the business with real interest and please keep us updated. And uh, I hope to hear, read press releases about many, many more sites. I hope so. Thank you very much both. Thank you, Emily and uh, Catherine. Maybe another time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Catherine, are you, are you, um, it's telling me that your Zencast is dropping in and out. So I think we'll just encourage everyone to tune in next week when Catherine will be back with maybe every every word rather than every third word that she can hear. Um, so thank you once again, Eva. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Got a thumbs up. Got a thumbs up. Um, and thank you everybody for listening. Please do like and share it and tell everyone, including the milkman. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple, or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.